Our scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, and these are my four girls and my wife, Nina, and uh, so everything in our house is pink. This is a man named Simeon speaking who's been waiting a long time for the Messiah, and I'll be speaking a little more about this later. It just says this. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. I love being together as one church family with the beauty of let all mortal flesh keep silent with Ted on the piano and children playing go fish in the front row. It was quite the juxtaposition of experience. But as we come now to some time, I said some things last night. I'm not sure how much more I have to say. So let me bring us back to last night and we'll go from there. So I told some of you about my Christmas tradition of my Christmas Danish that I get after the midnight, after the 11 o'clock service gets out. And last night was no different. The 11 o'clock service got out and we had some wonderful fellowship in the foyer. The church cleared out. I got in my car, drove down Route 5, about a mile, took that familiar ride into the 7-Eleven, went in to buy my Christmas Danish, and Rich, who needed a ride home, he came with me, and Hunter was there too, and we were, uh, Rich said, I'm buying, and, and so I, as soon as Rich said he was buying, I started loading it up, and I got a Gatorade, and the Christmas Danish turned into Christmas Danish, and a couple of donuts, and Hunter got a bag of donuts, and we're having a good time, and and uh, and Rich, Rich starts buying all the, all the food that we put up there. And as Rich is buying the food, the most interesting thing happened. Rich is buying the food, but the cashier starts handing me money. It's weird, Rich is paying with his credit card and the cashier starts handing me cash. So here's the picture right here of uh, us. There's me with my Christmas Danish. Um, the money that the cashier handed me and uh, Rich with his credit card going, I'm not sure what just happened, but one of you kind people called ahead and paid for my Danish, so thank you very much. So I thought I would, yes. So I thought I would return the favor. I told you it was gonna be a loose environment. I have some Christmas Danish right here. If anyone would like a piece of Travis Simone's special Christmas Danish. I want you to stand up right now. Stand up right now, come on up, come on up. I hope we can enjoy that Christmas Danish together. Look at that. One, one family worshiping, worshiping together. While there's not a bulletin here this morning, if you do go on the website, there is a, a title for this uh, unorthodox sermon. The title for this sermon is confirming God's movement. We've been looking at the movement of God toward us in Jesus Christ at Christmas all throughout Advent. We've been looking at God's movement toward us as the paradigm for our movement toward the world. That the reason we are called to move toward the world, to share our faith, 
to present Jesus in a clear and compelling and creative manner to anyone that would listen. The reason that we do that, the reason we go out, the reason we feed hungry people, the reason we clothe people, the reason we do all of that, the reason we move toward the world is because God moved toward us first. That's what we read in 1 John. For he first loved us. Not that we first loved him, but he first loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so we've been looking at this idea of of God's movement and we started off with a sermon just to, to recap, to bring us up to where we are. The sermon was just called The Movement of God. And we looked at the doctrine of the incarnation and we learned that incarnation is just a fancy way to say in the flesh, that at Christmas, God became flesh. God put skin on. I love Eugene Peterson's translation of John 1:14. The word became flesh. It says, God put skin on and dwelt among us. He says, God put skin on and moved into the neighborhood. He came right where you are, right where I am right where we live so that we might know him fully. And then we looked at the character of Zechariah, and that sermon was entitled Doubting God's Movement. And in that sermon, we looked at the idea that doubting God's movement doesn't stop God's movement. That when Zechariah doubts, God doesn't say, oh, I can't, I can't work, I better call off the plan. He doesn't even say I can't work with Zechariah. He gives him this gift of silence brings him to a place of surrender so that he can experience the joy of being a part of God's movement. Next week, we looked at Mary, the idea of embracing God's movement. Mary is the counter picture to Zechariah in the Gospel of Luke, where Luke writes, Zechariah did not believe. He says about Mary, blessed is she who has believed. And Doug taught us about Mary embracing the miracle leads to humble service. Mary says, yes, I will be a part of what God is doing in the world. I will jump on to his movement and move with him. And that leads to humble service in the world. The next week, look, uh, Rich looked at John the Baptist, the idea of announcing God's movement, the idea that the movement has a voice And the voice that God chose to use was your voice, was my voice, that we have a responsibility to announce that God has moved to call other peoples into the, to call other people into the movement of God, that they, through faith, might receive him as well. And last night, we looked at the shepherds, and that sermon was entitled, Seeing God's Movement. They received an invitation to meet someone significant. And it says, remember, they went with haste and found. They went with haste and found. And what did they find? It says they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. They actually got to see the very movement of God right in front of them. And today... What we see in the last story in Luke chapter two is two elderly people who have been waiting their entire lives. They confirm that God has moved for us. 
It's not just this idea that, hey, trust me, it happened. No, it was confirmed and testified to by people who saw it with their own eyes. Their names are Simeon and Anna. We read a portion of their story earlier. Let me read the rest to you now. This is from Luke 2, chapter, excuse me, Luke 2, verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. It is uh, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout and was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took, up, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul, so that your so that thoughts, excuse me, so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. And there was also a prophetess, Anna, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Anna and Simeon have waited a long time and they encounter the Christ child. But when they encounter the Christ child, it's interesting. It's not exactly what they may have hoped for or as Nina said earlier, expected. What happened when they encountered the Christ child was not everything turned out okay. Israel was not consoled immediately in that moment. Rather, Simeon says to Mary, a sword will pierce your own heart and the thoughts of many will be revealed. And so as we come to the end of this Advent period of waiting, we enter into another time of waiting. The celebration of Advent in the church is meant to commemorate Jesus' first advent, his first coming as a baby in a manger. 
but it is meant to point us to his second and triumphant coming as a king of kings to rule and reign over this earth. And so as we come to the end of our first period of waiting, we launch into our next period of waiting, waiting for Jesus to return. And my thought is, we should take Simeon's words seriously, that we might not immediately feel a consolation in our own life, that all of our issues might not go away. We still might face screaming children in, oops, excuse me. We still might face screaming children in vans where the doors are shut. We still might face difficult relationships. We still might face the pain of medical issues. That a sword might actually, might feel waiting for the second coming, might feel like a sword is actually piercing our own soul. But if Mary did not escape that piercing, why should we think that we would escape the piercing either? So that our thoughts might be laid bare before the one who knows all, that we might be molded and shaped into his image and likeness. And so while our waiting can turn into hope and our hope can turn into expectation, my prayer this Christmas is that our expectations are set properly, that we have an expectation that God will have his way with us. Between now and his second coming, our souls will be pierced. Our thoughts will be revealed. And through the pain of it all, we might actually come to know him in a deeper and more profound way. I asked earlier who brought a Christmas present uh, with them this morning. And uh, thank you. And I brought several. These shoes were a Christmas present. This sweater was a Christmas present. But I also received a little framed picture. I, I took a picture of it here. And it's a quote from one of my absolute favorite books. You hear me talk about this a lot um, on, Sunday that I, on Sunday mornings, that I love the, the Chronicles of Narnia book series. I love that allegory of a land called Narnia ruled by a king named Aslan who represents Jesus. And in my favorite one of those books, uh, The Horse and His Boy, it's an extended allegory on the providence of God, how God works in mysterious ways in the world. The end of the story, Aslan, the figure who represents Jesus in the story, he looks at the young man who's been going through the, uh, the whole, who's the protagonist in the story, the main character, and he's asking, the, the young man's name is Shasta, he's asking a lot of questions about other people and why this happened to them and why didn't he go through that, but he had to go through all this suffering and he was brought up as an orphan child and then had to run away when he thought he was about to be sold into slavery. He's asking all of these questions as Aslan is attempting to explain his life to him. And he starts veering into questions about other people's lives. And Aslan, the Christ figure, looks at him and says, child, said the voice, I am telling you your story, not hers. I tell no one any story but their own. Simeon and Anna represent the culmination of Luke's telling of Jesus' birth. And at this point, you see every aspect of society 
from, young, from a young couple to elderly people to everyone in between having been involved in the story. Our stories are intimately involved and connected to Jesus's story and what he is doing at Christmas time in the birth of his Savior, in the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we look ahead, feeling the piercing of our own hearts, we shouldn't look to the left or to the right. Why is this happening to me but not to them? We know Jesus has an important story to tell each and every one of us, to pierce our hearts, to reveal our thoughts, to draw us close to him. As I pray, this can be a great encouragement to you. He will not tell you anyone's story but your own. But as he tells you your story, you might draw close to him this Christmas day. And so with that, I'd like to close our service with the singing of one final carol. Angels, we have heard on high. Let's belt it out on Christmas day. Please stand.